0: We had a good life. You know, we, we felt like it was a comfortable life. We felt like we were well taken care of. And uh, when we had our daughter, that all changed.
1: We didn't realize the risk of, of having children and what that toll would do on us and our relationship with Christ. It was uh, a scary time in our lives when she was born.
0: So our daughter was born and everything seemed to be going on along normally like you would expect. And the doctor came in and he was holding something like under his arm, kind of his yeah. like coat was blocking and we couldn't tell what it was. And so he came over to our daughter and pulled it out and it was this toy.
1: It was plastic. Yeah. And she was supposed to play with this thing. We were supposed to shake this in front of her And we packed up and left that hospital like that.
0: So we are the Smiths. When we had kids, we really took to heart a part in the Bible that talks about God being our hedge of protection.
1: Excuse me, looks like you forgot something. In the Bible, he talks about um, being our protection and our hedge of protection and and we just believe that that is the way that we should live in everyday life, every minute, every second of every day. You have to wear gloves, safety first. Yeah, but I've been reading the Bible and it doesn't say anything about gloves, goggles, or anything you guys make me wear or do. I don't want to have this attitude. You're just not in the right chapter. (sighs) Not again. Um, Our firstborn son, Um, is about six years old, he's almost seven, and he um, is definitely um, more wild, I think, than our other children. He's definitely... a
0: risk taker.
1: Very much so. The other morning, um, I heard him in the hallway, and immediately that panicked me because it was about seven in the morning, and our children are not allowed to get out of their beds by themselves. Um, And so that was... The scariest moment I think that we've had so far with him.
0: We prayed.
1: We prayed and we, we prayed put
0: protection.
1: mattresses all over the floor. Now I don't like to think about what could have happened. Um, he could have broken something. I, I just I can't even go there. There it, were it.
0: toys probably on it. He could have stepped on a toy.
1: Mm-hmm. Even though what, we only allow been. soft toys, but
0: it doesn't matter. That
1: could have definitely been bad. Um, water is a big fear. Um, in this family. For everybody. For everybody, but especially in this family. um, It is such a dangerous thing that God created. I mean, I
0: don't think God created rain.
1: It's very, we're on the fence about that.
0: And so our kids wanted to have a pool. It forced us though into a place of just prayer. I mean, we really prayed it through and it really forced us to grow in our faith. It stretched Mm -hmm. our faith to really put the trust in God that our kids could...
1: Maybe play, maybe play.
0: Well, we're getting there, but we have taken a big step and allowed them to play mm-hmm. near the sprinklers. Yeah.
1: It's very scary. Very scary.
0: Another yeah, it was situation. another scare mm-hmm. for us was our kids got to the age of um bicycles
1: our daughter who is 9 um had a friend that had a bicycle and um
0: at 10 her friend was 10 and was is, riding a bicycle
1: i can't imagine i can't imagine doing that he told them that they could get a bike um we're not allowing them to ride it yet um you have to have your helmet your knee pads everything and you may walk your bike.
0: God says he puts a hedge of protection around you. That doesn't mean go off and ride a bike down a hill.
1: I don't think it's movable hedge, no, you know? it's not. Um, and so walking the bikes has been another fun experience, I think, for them. They, you know, see other kids riding their bikes and they are just slower.
0: I just feel like, I mean, it was a scary thing for us to allow them to do that but at some point you just have to put your your faith That's in God you do at some point you have to put your faith to the test and really mm-hmm. see am I going to trust God with my kids I mean people joke about paper cuts but it's not funny
1: it's not I mean
0: Infections. you're in
1: pain you're bleeding and we're not
0: supposed to test God
2: Oh, good stuff there. <laughs> don't test God with paper cuts. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. If, if you're new here or we've never met, my name is Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts here at K2. And I don't know how many of you, uh, probably I hope very few could relate to any of that. Anyone here? Uh, some of you, though, may, uh, may know someone. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, yeah. I was watching this, I'm like, I had a few people's names pop in my head. Uh, my wife, it's funny, when we had, when our kids were much smaller, my wife used to call me safety boy because the kids would go by like cliffs and I'd like freak out. And she's like, ah, they're fine. I'm like, it's a thousand foot drop. They don't get it, you know? But uh, it hasn't happened in a while. Anyway, we're, we're in a series called Immortal Living Like You'll Never Die. And uh, we're going through the book of First Thessalonians and uh, looking at w- what Paul was addressing with the church in Thessalonica. And so far we've talked about living a life uh, of Impact, week one, and then week two was talking about living a a life of authenticity. And last week, uh, if you were here, you heard either Dave or Ladd uh, talk about uh, living a life of inspiration. And today we're talking about courage, which was not that at all. Uh, But I really can't think of a better word to follow inspiration than courage because the reality is uh, someone without courage inspires nobody, right? Right? In fact, the reality is that what's inspiring usually about people is the courage that we wish we had to do things, right? And uh, so again, with, if you don't have courage, you just, you just really, uh, you, you can't really inspire people. And uh, I, I took my kids, I, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't see this movie, but I took my kids to see this movie uh, called The Crudes. And, and uh, it's an animated movie about these uh, Neanderthal-ish people, this family, and there are like three main characters. Grug is the dad, and uh, he's like this overprotective, super overprotective uh, guy, and he's got a daughter, Eep. And Eep is the opposite of that. She wants adventure and action. She's always uh, wanting to see new things. And and so there's this tension between the two of them. And so uh, Grug has this thing he keeps saying over and over. And it's like, live in fear, live in fear. Fear keeps you alive. Fear is good. And so... And Eep doesn't embrace that thinking. And then she, of course, eventually runs into the, and I'm not giving anything away about the movie, but uh, it's at the Dollar Show, so seriously, if you haven't seen it, tough luck. Uh, anyway, uh, so Eep eventually meets the protagonist of the movie, and his name is Guy. And she tells Guy, she, she tells him, yeah, well, you know, my dad says live in fear, live in fear, fear is good, fear keeps us alive. And he looks back at her and he goes, uh, that's not living. That's just not dying. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's really interesting. If you have kids, I, I have, my wife and I have four kids. And um, what's really interesting when you have more than one kid, you, you see like, different, like how different each of your kids are. And uh, my one son, Jude, he's he's just this, take life by the horns, tackle everything, fear nothing, go full on, right? He certainly doesn't fear me. He's made that clear many times. And uh, my wife either, so we're even on that one. But anyway, um, uh, it was really interesting because when we, uh, his first, he entered school in kindergarten, right, like everyone does. And leading up to it, everything was normal, and we'd, we'd taken them. I think, the week before you go in, and you see the classroom, and you meet the teacher, and you, you see where their desk is going to be, and you drop off their supplies, and then, uh, then you... Uh, you know, then the week gets there, and we're talking to him. We're like, hey, Jude, this week is the week. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, no problem. And then, hey, tomorrow's the day. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, today's the day. All right, cool, no problem. So we get to school, and we walk in with him, and the teacher says, hey, we got some assignments for you guys to do together for the first 15 minutes and get them all acclimated. And So we do, and, and uh, so we get done with the 15 minutes, and then the teacher says, okay, uh, parents, you're, you're free to leave now. And so Susan and I turned to leave, and the craziest thing happened he turned into a Velcro spider monkey (laughs) that was screaming hysterically. You know that parent in kindergarten? That was me. (laughs) And Susie and I were dumbfounded because we'd never seen anything like this before. And we're just going, what in the name of goodness is going on? We had no idea and we try to sneak out and he's he's gonna knock the teacher uh, over to get out the door. Like, and we're like, okay, well that's not a good, uh, so she says, you can stay for a few more minutes, you know. So we're like, all right. So, so uh, Susie kind of stays the distance, and I go in, and we're sitting there. And then she goes, "Okay, we're gonna have story time." So here's me sitting pretzel style with all these little kindergartners, and Jude next to me, and she's reading stories. So after about 15 minutes, I'm like, I cannot stay here all day, (laughs) and not all year either. So we got to do something about this. (laughs) So, uh, and we again, I just I don't even know, didn't even know what to do. And I finally, I just I turn to him, and I just kind of whisper, and I go, "You know." dude, we're going to come back and get you in a few hours, right? He looks at me and he goes, you are? (laughs) I go, yeah. So we're going to leave, okay? All right. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on in his mind. He's got older brothers and sisters who've gone to school every day. anyway, so we walk, I get up and walk out. Not a problem. Never had, never a mention of it again. And what's interesting is that that courage is interesting like that because you have people who are willing to like jump out of airplanes, but they see a mouse in the room and they're frozen, right? Just like, or like I'll bungee jump and climb a mountain, but there's no way I'm talking to that girl, right? Fear is like so selective and it's so, you you just kind of don't have control over it. It's really tough. And I started thinking, so how would, how would, well, first of all, how would, how would culture divine, define fear, right? Let's look at TV, it's Shark Week, everyone, right? Everyone loves Shark Week except, <laughs> anyway, uh, so you, you look at Shark Week and what's interesting is I think that TV kind of defines fear, uh, courage as the lack of fear, right? So you have the Shark Week you have these guys pouring gallons of blood into uh, schools of uh, sharks that are man-eating sharks and, and like a tying uh, prime rib to their bodies and going, let's jump in and see what happens. We'll study them, right? <laughs> or you have like uh, a new one my kids started watching is uh, alligator, uh, alligator Hunters. Have you seen this? People get sightings of alligators, they call them. These guys dive into the water and grab the alligators and wrestle them out of the water. <laughs> that is not making sense to me. <laughs> You have, and then I, I came across this quote, or you know, look at the movies here too, right? Has Tom Cruise ever been scared of anything in any movie? <laughs> no. So courage clearly in our society, in our social world is measured as a lack of fear. Nelson Mandela said this, I think it's a really insightful quote. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. John Wayne said it way more eloquently Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. So you're kind of faced to decide, so is Alligator Hunter right or is John Wayne right? Or maybe there's something else. And that's what I want to look at today in our time together. I want to continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians, better understand what courage is and what it means for us to have courage in our lives as it relates to our relationship with Christ and living out in the world. Before we go any further, I'd love to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we seek you in this time, and I, I pray that whatever I say would be exactly what you want said, that these would be your words, that you would convict our hearts and guide us and lead us and bring awareness to uh, us as it relates to our relationship with you. We, we just invite the Holy Spirit. You are welcome in this place. Please lead us in this moment, these moments we have together this morning. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're just going to be looking at four verses in First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 13. I'm just going to dive in and read those. Then I want to go back and talk about a few things that I noticed from these. Verse 13 says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So you may be asking, so all right, so how do you get courage about this? Where do we get the courage? All right, it's really important for us to understand context when we're reading. And so just to understand that Paul Paul planted this church in Thessalonians. It seems like he probably wasn't there a super long time before he left. And uh, when he, 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 he's writing, first of all, when he, before he came to the church, he was in uh, Judea and, and planting churches there and came under uh, you, uh, some physical, he was thrown in jail and beaten because of what he believed. And, uh, and so he plants this church and, and writes this letter to inform them, to say, hey, what I want you to understand is Jesus is coming back one day to take you who believe, to take you back to heaven with him. Okay? And because of that knowledge, your life and every action, every decision, every relationship you have should be informed and illuminated by the fact that you know Christ is coming. It gives you a hope to live for. Okay? And what we know about this Thessalonian church is that it was a highly, highly Gentile, non-Jewish church in the midst of Greek culture, which was immersed with Greek philosophy and humanism and all this kind of thought. Right? And we see, in, just in the first few chapters, he uses some interesting words to describe what what they were facing. He uses the word contrary, which uh, is like winds that blow against something to hinder the progress. He uses the word hinder, which sort of implies a road that's so broken that, that travel is even blocked. And, and affliction, which is... Uh, uh, treatment based on on your circumstances and pressure from your circumstances. And uh, he uses the word persecuted, which means driven out, you know, and and, uh, rejected and suffering, even the same word that he used to describe Jesus' suffering. And so we get this picture when we read of understanding that this church was facing some severe persecution. They had accepted something and the culture wasn't cool with it in a nutshell. They were losing work, Family, friendships, they were unreli- unwelcomed at the synagogues and the gatherings and being opposed and even physically attacked because of their belief. And it's really important to understand, persecution is a little bit different than hard times. See, we all go through sickness and pain and bereavement, even downsizing at work. That just happens to everyone, right? That's something that we deal with and we face, Persecution refers to suffering we endure because of what we believe. And that's what the Thessalonians were dealing with. Because of their newfound belief, they were suffering. Okay? So I wanna look at three things, and if you are a note taker, you write things down, I encourage you to write these three things down today. And the first is this, the first of the three is this, that courage demonstrates what we really believe. Point one, courage demonstrates what we really believe. Look at verse 13. It says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it is, as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So what did they believe? What did their courage tell us that they believed? Well, they believed that the word that they received, the gospel message that Paul brought to them when he planted the church, was not just like this Greek culture and this pagan culture, which is wisdom and thought and philosophy and all this kind of stuff. It was word from God, life-changing words from God. Very different. And they accepted it. And interestingly, too, Paul uses two forms of the word receive when he's talking here. One is to accept something. The other is to accept something into your life in a way that creates change and what had happened with these people living in this Greek philosophical paganistic culture they received the gospel of Jesus Christ embraced it in a life-changing way and now we're living differently in the face of deep persecution and people who were not cool with that happening see and when you have well in order to have courage you have to have something to measure it against and they were measuring against the Word of God. See, and I got to tell you honestly, and I think Dave and Lad and everyone on staff would tell you the same thing. I don't always like everything I read in God's Word, I just know I'm supposed to follow it. And the problem is, if we don't have a measure that's a standardized measure that I say this is the truth and this is the way I live my life, when I'm faced with something that challenges my belief, I'm going to bag it in a heartbeat. It's just a reality. And the question for you guys is this, what do you believe about God's word? I met with uh, uh, Frank Strickland for a quick minute this week. We just went out and had some coffee. And Frank's just a great, great godly man who just studies God's word. And we are just talking. And one of the interesting things about this time, and it was actually true in this time that we're talking about here as well, and that is that the, the Bible and God has become so subjective in culture. Have you noticed that? The Bible in people's minds carries no authority and we have this buffet style of following Christ. I like this and I like this, but I don't like that, so get rid of this, and we create our own gospel. And the problem is it doesn't really work that way. See, what we have to do is take God's word and make sense of it and apply it to our lives and like the Thessalonians, receive it into our life that changes our behaviors even when we're challenged. What they believed was that God's word was God's word and it changed their lives. The second thing, not only does it demonstrate what we really believe, it demonstrates what we really desire. See, we, we do this in life all the time. You're courageous when you desire something, right? You're willing to take a risk if there's something out there you want. We do it with finances. Again, we do it with, with relationships. I'll take a risk and hopefully, it's the, it's the storyline for every action movie, right? But what was it that the Thessalonians desired? Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. It says this. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. See, what they desired was those same people that were persecuting them and rejecting them and throwing them out of their relationships and families, they desired that those people would receive the same gospel and the life-changing message that Paul had brought to them to the point that they were willing to face persecution and stand in disagreement and share their faith publicly and openly so that the other people could receive it. They weren't worried about being out of good relationship because they believed in Jesus. Let me ask you guys, are you willing to take that risk? Do you desire those around you to know Jesus Christ like you know him? The second thing that they desired was right relationship with God. As I read through this, in the first four chapters, I found 13 times where Paul commends them for their good behaviors, the reputation they had in in Thessalonians, for their perseverance in the face of persecution. And what we understand is that what they desired more than anything else, more than the family relationship, more than being allowed in the synagogue, more than even avoiding being beaten, was they desired God's pleasure with the way they lived. So one, courage demonstrates what we really believe. Two, courage demonstrates what we really desire. And the third thing is this, and I'll spend a little more time on this one, is that courage demonstrates what we really fear. See, I'm not sure that courage is either the absence of fear or even simply saddling up in the face of fear. I think that courage is fearing the right thing the most. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. and It says this. For you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So what do you, again, hey, no hidden stuff here, guys. You get it. You knew I was persecuted for believing this stuff, and you're going to be persecuted as well. And the choice you have to make is do you fear what man's going to do to you or do you fear what God desires for you and what God can do to you? Look at Matthew chapter 10, 28. Jesus speaking says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, and that is what the Thessalonians feared more than their relationships with those in their community with the threat of fear. They knew it was coming and they were facing it. They were dealing with it on a daily basis but they feared God more than man. You know, I want to look at, uh, there's a really, the end of uh, Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua was a transitional period for Israel where uh, Moses is, uh, he's, he's getting old and sick and he's, he's on his last legs, you know, a foot in the grave, foot in the banana peel and so he's handing over his, that was probably disrespectful, Sorry. <laughs> He was going to die soon, okay? And um, so he's handing over the leadership of Israel to this guy Joshua. And I want to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1. It says this. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These last couple chapters of Deuteronomy, these first couple chapters of uh, Joshua when this command shift is happening. As I read it eight times, the admonition to Joshua, be strong and courageous. What's the implication there? He's not what? He's not very courageous. See, if I know a really courageous guy, I don't go up to him and go, hey, be courageous. (laughs) They already are. Pretty interesting, eight times. And then, even accompanied with that, not only that, but he, he, he kind of tags it uh, about half the times by going, and don't let fear of man rule your decisions. Don't be afraid of the wrong stuff. Don't fear what man could do to you. And then, a few times, he, he also adds on this don't deviate from the plan. Stick to the plan. Study God's Word. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Know what it says. Know what you're called to do and make the decision based on that because if you make your decision based on fear in the moment, you'll reject what you believe and you'll be successful if you just stick to it. You're strong and courageous and you're not afraid of man. See, what's interesting about this is what we find is that courage, when you call yourself a follower of Christ, when it comes to our relationship with him, is not a good suggestion, it's not an afterthought, it's a command. We are called to be courageous people and believing God's word and following it is the way to become courageous. When you base your decisions on a standard that we accept, that's when we can have the courage because we know what we're supposed to do. And fearing God above all else is the only way to be inspiring to others and live a life as though we're never gonna die in the face of persecution. See, God isn't working to produce the circumstances you desire. He's working in the circumstances to produce the you he desires. See, your faith becomes, it's really easy, it's, it's super easy to be a Christian right now, isn't it? How hard is it to be a Christian right now? Raise your hand if you're going, it's very difficult at this moment to be a Christian. It's No. You know what's it's difficult to be a Christian? As soon as you leave this place, and you go to work and you're faced with people who want to mock you, make fun of you. And, we don't, and here, let's be honest, here in America, we don't even have severe persecution like we do in other parts of the world. And I, I just tell you, I'm not, praying for pers- I'm not praying for persecution. I'm praying for revival, but not persecution. But your faith becomes real. The moment your faith is challenged, you define the depth of your faith. Not right now. It's a great story in the Old Testament. I love stories just because uh, I feel like they so demonstrate the principles uh, that we're taught, we are taught. We talk about all the time. And it's in the beginning of Daniel. If you grew up in church uh, or have kids and have the Veggie Tales videos, you know this story, Rack, Shack, and Benny, I think they call it, or something like that. It's about these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what's really interesting in this story is this. Um, so uh, these three guys were slaves uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a bad guy, seems like a nut job kind of guy, uh, megalomaniac and just a whole bunch of stuff, probably not super stable mentally and emotionally. And, uh, but these guys were, were Jews who were brought into slavery and they were serving the king and they were doing a good job and they were, they were ascending the ranks actually becoming key advisors for him and doing really good stuff, at large, almost primarily, probably primarily based on the fact that they were adhering to their belief in God and their, and their practices in what they believed. And so then what happens is all of a sudden, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has this great idea. Uh, he decides he wants uh, people to worship him and his gods more. So what he does is he builds this golden image and he puts it in, you know, erects it in the town. He gets a band together, sends the band on tour, and says, okay, every time you hear the band rock it out, you guys fall on your face and worship me and my gods. And so if you don't, just so you know, he says, you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. Right? And so uh, he, the band starts their uh, the Babylonian tour, and uh, they start playing, and people are just, every time they hear the music, they fall on their face, and they start worshiping uh, God. All except for these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, so people don't like that. Some of the people serving the king, so they go to the king, and they go, hey, these guys aren't doing it. Well, somehow there was a bit of a soft spot In uh, Nebuchadnezzar's heart for them. So he says, all right, I'm going to bring him in. He brings him in. He says, hey, guys, here's the deal. You remember the drill. Uh, When you hear the music, uh, fall down in worship or furnace. Okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. One more chance, okay? So he fires up the band or he brings the band in to fire him up. And this is their, uh, you don't have this verse up here, but uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 records the response of those three guys to the king. Jedrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, to reply to him, King, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. What? Furnace? Ah. (laughs) We don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. So what did they believe? What did their courage tell us that they believed? A few things. They believed that they answered to God, not to this king here on earth. They believed that the God was going to save them. What did they desire? They desired right relationship with him because They would rather die believing what they believed and holding to their guns rather than compromising their faith. And what did they fear? They feared God more than man. See, just as diamonds are produced out of common carbon that's under millions of pounds of pressure, our character as it relates to Christ is formed by the situations that require courage. When you're out of this place this week and you're facing decisions that are asking you are you gonna compromise or be courageous, that's the moment, not now, that's the moment when you define what your faith really is. See, we choose to face adversities with God or without Him in either case. Believers and those who do not believe are watching. To the believers, we provide an example of how to persevere like the Judean churches had done and like Paul had done for the Thessalonian church. They inspired them based on their courage to live a different way. That's what we, when we have courage, can offer to those who believe. To those who don't believe, we provide an example of, of what we do believe, what we desire, and what we fear the most. tell you one last story that I came across this week. It's a pretty interesting story. Uh, the Prussian king, Frederick the Great, he was this widely known agnostic. Widely known agnostic. And uh, he had a general, one of his key generals, General von Zeeland, who was equally renowned for his Christian faith. He's a devout Christian. And, um, so so um, Frederick the Great throws this great party. He throws this big, huge party. He invites all the people here. And then what he, do, he does during this party, he starts telling these uh, jokes uh, that are mocking Christ and making fun of him. And apparently the guy's pretty hilarious because the whole place is in stitches rocking with laughter. Everyone is cracking up except for one guy, General Von Zeeland. So after sitting there for a while, he, says he decides he can't take it anymore, stands up and he addresses the king and I want to read what he says. Sire, you know I have not feared death. I have fought and won 38 battles for you. I am an old man. I shall soon have to go into the presence of one greater than you, the mighty God who saved me from my sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you are blaspheming. I salute you, sire, as an old man who loves his savior on the edge of eternity. The place went silent. And with a trembling voice, the king replied, General Von Zeeland, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. And with that, the party ended. You see, right now in this moment as we're sitting in the church, it's really, really easy to believe what we believe. The question for every one of us is when we leave these doors this morning and we go on with the rest of our life is how does this moment affect the rest of my life in the face of those who are around me that don't believe the same as me? You've probably heard the saying, if your faith were put on trial, would you even be convicted of being a Christian? We close out here this morning. I'm going to invite our greeters to come, and we're going to uh, take our offering. And um, as we do, I just I want to pray here for a minute as they come forward, though. Heavenly Father, again, we just are grateful for the grace that you have for us, and for and for the truth that we need to hear. And. Uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit in this moment convicts us in a healthy way, not not driving us to guilt or shame, but driving us to motivate us to change behaviors and identify the areas. Help us see where we're being cowardly and not courageous with our faith, where we're not living what we truly believe, and we're not loving you and fearing you more than everything else. Let us be like this Thessalonian church who served you and loved you and proclaimed the gospel and made converts and shared their faith. Thank you, we ask this in your name. Amen.